Please open your Bibles to John chapter 9. As we To see or not to see, that's the question or the statement this morning. In John chapter 9, where we left off before, where we pick up right now in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had put him out, and finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, that those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees, who were with him, heard these things, and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin, but since you say we see, your sin remains. Father, we come before you once again this morning. I pray, O God, that you would help us to understand your word, and that you would help me to preach your word. For the glory of Jesus Christ, in his name I pray, amen. So as we come to the end of chapter 9, as we have studied through this, this man has gone through quite an interrogation by the Pharisees. The end of chapter 9, but this man is turning to Jesus Christ, and so in many ways it is the beginning of his life. Although he was a man born blind, as an adult now, having lived many years before without being able to see, he would now begin to live differently, would he not? He was blind, but now he could see this man's life had been changed by Jesus Christ. Our first point this morning, he was indeed found by the Lord. He was found by the Lord. Jesus heard that they had put him out. So after the interrogation, when this man refused to deny Jesus Christ, when he did nothing but proclaim who Jesus Christ was, he was thrown out of the synagogue for standing on truth. And he was thrust right into the arms of Jesus Christ. And as we would consider when We come to Jesus Christ. We are excommunicated by the world. The world does not want us anymore. When we turn to the Lord, we don't serve the ways of the world anymore. We serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And what better place to be than to be in the arms of our blessed Savior, the Lord Jesus. Jesus asks him the most important question as it relates to salvation. Do you believe in the Son of Man? This man was persecuted for the sake of Jesus, and Jesus did not leave him to live on his own. 
to be by himself. The man was put out of the religious institution. He was persecuted by those who were supposed to be instructing him. Now he would be maligned by others as the word spread of what took place. But he was found by the Lord, as it is in salvation. Jesus finds and saves sinners of his own choosing. But then there's the demands of the Lord. Secondly, the demands of the Lord. He asked the man a question, and the word you in here is emphatic. Do you, individual, believe in the Son of Man? Jesus was concerned with the individual. The man answered for himself in the interrogation. The man must answer for himself this question by Jesus Christ as he stood before him. As he was asked a simple question after the interrogation. As each of us must stand and answer the same question on our own. What will we do with Jesus Christ? Do we believe in the Son of Man? Believing in the Son of Man is trusting in the Son of Man. It is trusting in Jesus. It's placing one's trust in Jesus Christ for the salvation of their soul. It's the most important question to be asked. It is the most important question one can answer. Do you believe in the Son of Man? The Son of Man is an interesting expression, interesting title. It's one that Jesus uses, speaking of himself, over 80 times in the New Testament. The only other individual that uses this title of Jesus is Stephen in Acts chapter 7, verse 56. While he was being persecuted for proclaiming Christ, while he was being stoned to death for standing for Jesus, but being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. In John chapter 12, when Jesus tells of his death, he was asked by the crowd, Who is this Son of Man? And this phrase, this title, Son of Man, comes from Daniel chapter 7. I'll just read it for you. Verse 13 and 14. In Daniel's vision, I kept looking into the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. The kingdoms of this world will come and go. They fall. Another one has risen up again. But the kingdom of God will stand forever. Leon Morris points out for us that Jesus used this term 
son of man in a threefold way, as a periphrasis, a longer word to convey a shorter meaning. In other words, son of man, instead of the word I, also of the heavenly son of man who will come in glory, of the son of man who suffers to bring people salvation. We find this phrase also, or this title rather, in John chapter 5, verse 27, referring to judgment, which would also fit the context of our verses this morning. As it says, And he, being God, gave him, Jesus, authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. And the word, uh, excuse me, the word the there is in italics. It's not in the original Greek. So it is son of man. It would, that would also bring us back to Daniel chapter 7. This Christological title yet stresses his humanity. And he is given authority as judge. The person of Christ. Fully man and fully God. So we see this man that stood before him was found by the Lord. And then there are demands of the Lord. And then there is thirdly the response to the Lord. So the man answers Jesus' question with a question. Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Likely, he recognizes the voice of Jesus when Jesus healed him as he spoke to him when he could not see. Likely, he he recognized this voice when he heard Jesus speak. This may be the first time he actually saw him clearly. The term Lord here may be translated as sir, showing respect towards Jesus, as sometimes We find, but we'll see it used differently here in a moment. He is ready to believe. He is willing to believe. He trusts that Jesus is the one to tell him in whom he must believe. Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus says you have both seen him and he is the one who is talking with you. You have seen him. How appropriate. Appropriate words for a man who has never seen anything until Jesus opened his eyes. The Greek would put it in the phrase saying this, the one speaking to you is that one. Jesus was concerned for this man's soul. With everything else that has transpired so far with this man, He was blind, now he could see. The interrogation being thrown out of the synagogue. One thing was clear. He was brought to the point of having to answer this important question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And then he responds, which is the response that is needed to the Lord. When an opportunity of salvation is presented, he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Lord, I believe. And the response is worship. This time when he says Lord, he is not saying sir. 
It has the vernacular of owner, ruler, or master. For one to call Jesus Lord and to believe in him and to worship him is to say that he is sovereign master over all, including our lives. It is saying when someone says, I submit to you, Lord, I believe in you, I follow you, I worship you. It is to say, I give up my own rights. I follow you. I belong to you now. Do loss, slave or servant of Jesus Christ. Don't buy into the belief that you can have Jesus as Savior, not as Lord. It's a false belief. The Bible clearly teaches Jesus is Lord. And if you're not willing to submit to his lordship, you cannot be saved. In the book of Acts, Savior occurs twice, while Lord occurs 92 times. And the Lord Jesus Christ six times. And the Lord Jesus 13 times. As we consider the book of Acts, sermons presented in Acts by Peter, by Paul, an evangelistic manual in many ways. At the end of Peter's sermon in Acts, chapter 2, he proclaims, Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Paul said Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. And then in Philippians, I invite you to turn there. We're going to be back to John. But Paul has something to say on this in Philippians chapter 2. And we'll begin in verse 5. As we just move along down these verses and consider what Paul says. Chapter 2 and verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow to those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This title again, Lord the glorified Son of Man in His supremacy. And we remember the Great Commission, which I mentioned several times over several weeks in Matthew 28, 18, when Jesus says, All authority has been given to me on heaven, on earth. Why is that? Is because He is Lord. Every knee will bow is drawn from Isaiah 45, and we find it also in Romans chapter 14. So the man responds, Lord, I believe. So to believe that Jesus is Lord is to bend the knee of your heart to Jesus. When Saul was confronted by Jesus on the road to Damascus, he fell on his face saying, Who are you, Lord? 
Christ is Lord regardless of what man may try to say or teach in contrary. For Christians, we are to be comforted knowing that whatever trials may come or tribulations, Christ the Lord is leading us. He is at the helm and he does not abandon ship. We also should take note that it's important to realize that there are some serious implications of Jesus' lordship. And I find these in Ernest Resinger's book, Lord and Christ. Lord and Christ. Two books I would recommend by him, Lord and Christ and The Law and the Gospel. He has four things. I found them uh, that I would like to bring them for us this morning. And then we're going to look at some more texts on this. The Lordship of Christ. He says, Lordship implies our entire submission from the outset. He says, it's a strange salvation that knows nothing about daily submission to Christ the Lord. In other words, it's not just something we do on Sunday. Or it's not something that's an occasional thing. Everyday submission to Lord Jesus. Lordship, secondly, implies our willing service. Referring to Paul's conversion in Acts, he points out what Paul asks immediately. Who are you, Lord? And what do you want me to do? And that is, in a nutshell, a summarization for for us when we follow Christ. Who are you, Lord? Help me to know more of who you are by the reading of your word, by the preaching of your word. And God, what do you want me to do? For you, to serve you. Many in uh, the Gospels immediately believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and his lordship. Zacchaeus, Matthew the tax collector, disciples, when Jesus says, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men, they dropped their nets and they went and followed Jesus Christ. And Zacchaeus in Luke 19 was trying to see who Jesus was. And he wasn't able to because he was small in stature. And he ran ahead and climbed up into the sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Zacchaeus knew it. Matthew, or Levi, the tax collector, knew it. Jesus said, follow me. He dropped everything and he went to follow Jesus Christ. Immediate. Thirdly, according to Ernest Reisinger, lordship implies obedience. And Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Fourthly, lordship implies ownership. He goes on, if Jesus is my Lord, he owns me lock, stock, and barrel. 
when sinners bow to his lordship, not only do they get saved, but their whole life comes under the Lord's direction. And so two texts for us, Luke chapter 9 and then 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Luke chapter 9, 57, speaking of discipleship, as they were going along the road and Jesus would say things, he would speak to them, he would preach to them, he would teach them. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, first permit me to go and bury my father. In other words, get get the things in order having to do with him. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, permit me to say goodbye to those at home. Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I invite you to continue on with me and turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verse 19 and 20. But every time I come to 1 Corinthians 6, or most times, I'm immediately drawn to verse 9, 10, and 11. Or you do not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That covers so many different types of of individuals who would not enter the kingdom of God. But he says, such were some of you. That is the good news. That is what happened. Such were some of you, but you were washed. But you were sanctified. You were set apart. And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. And then in verse 19, do you not know Christian, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You have been bought with a price. Consider the price this morning. The price of the crucifixion, the price of God giving up His one and only Son, that so whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Consider the price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So the man responds to Jesus as we go back to John. The demands of the Lord, and he responds to the Lord and saying, Lord, I believe. He believed. He believed he was Lord, and he did what? And he worshiped him. Worshiping Jesus. To bow was an act of allegiance or regard. To yield one's life to Jesus Christ. To obey the Lord, excuse me, to worship the Lord is to obey the Lord. One proof that one is a worshiper of the Lord, Jesus Christ, 
is a life of obedience to his word. One who worships Jesus Christ will have his eyes drawn away from worldly things to heavenly things. The kingdom of heaven will be like a treasure to that one, a treasure hidden in the field, which a man finds and hides again. And from joy over it, he he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Or like the merchant seeking fine pearls, and upon finding that one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought that one pearl because it was precious to him. So this man was found by the Lord. But there's also demands of the Lord. Follow me, says the Lord. Then there is the response to the Lord. Believe in him, submit to his lordship, and worship him. Then there is also judgment according to the Lord. Judgment according to the Lord. Jesus said, for judgment... I have come into this world. For judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. First, we need to understand that there are other places that Jesus speaks of coming into the world not to judge the world. We see John 3.16, John 3.17. We could see that. I'll read that for us, John 3.16, John 3.17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. But then we see 18 and 19. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. Why? because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that the light, Christ, has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. So we must remember the importance of context and who Jesus is speaking to and the subject is at hand, as he was speaking of the blind and now those with sight. And now he does a little word play here. And he says, so that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Jesus healed the man who was born blind, a picture of spiritual illumination. As this man was regenerated, he represents Those who do not see, who Jesus made to see. Those who see here in this text, in this verse, those who see represent those who think that they need no illumination, that they do not need any light, for they can see things fine. What more do I need? I can see the world fine. I can see religious things fine. I don't need any light. Yet in reality, they were blind and in darkness. The Pharisees were walking examples of this. They were walking examples of those who thought they could see, but indeed were blind. 
For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. That's John 3, 20. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so his deeds may be manifested of having been wrought in God. So those who were there, the Pharisees, they were living in darkness but but claimed to be able to see. That's when we approach people with evangelism today. Some folks claim to see. I don't need to hear that about Jesus. I don't need to hear that about the Bible. I'm fine. No, thank you. The blind are those in darkness and know it. They are lost. And Jesus gives them sight. Those who see here, again, in this text, they think that they see such as the Pharisees during the interrogation, prove to be in darkness and prove to know nothing of what they claim to know. If you remember, it was, I know this, we know this, we know this. We don't know this, we don't know this, we know this. But they were proved wrong. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard things heard these things and said to him. Look at that. Those are the Pharisees. Now, when I read that, I think, wow, some of them may have not have been there. Those are the Pharisees. Even out of the Pharisees, even after those who would be so hostile to Christ, the Lord draws men out like uh, Nicodemus, out of even the most hostile towards Christ, the most scandalous towards the Lord. They said, we're not blind too, are we? With a sarcastic, no doubt, of a tone. Surely not us also are blind. They had no need for a Savior in their thinking because they thought they could see. They ridiculed Jesus before. They ridiculed him now. Their question was not one out of sincerity, but of mockery. They mocked him before and would mock him again. But Jesus says, again, for judgment I came into this world. And Jesus will return again. And some claim to know when that is, falsely. But as we were yesterday standing there watching the Thunderbirds, the naval fire, uh, fighters, fighter jets, as there were six of them, I believe, they always do one thing at air shows. And if you're not fully prepared... You will be caught off guard. And you will wish that you were prepared. But it will be too late. There will be the five jets doing their things. Right in front doing something miraculous almost. You say, wow, how could they even do that? And then out of nowhere, what they call the silent attack from behind comes roaring over your head as low probably as they could legally go. And you want to catch it on your camera. 
on your phone or whatever, but you can't. And it roars as it goes by. And once it goes by, it's too late. When Jesus comes, and if you're not right with Christ, it will be too late at that point in time. We don't know when he's going to come back. And as there is distractions in front of us, in front of this world, and unexpectedly through the sky, the Lord will return. And he'll return to judge those who have rejected him. And he'll return to those of us who have received him. Jesus said to them, after there's judgment according to the Lord, fifthly, no salvation without the Lord. No salvation without the Lord. Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. These men standing before him were guilty sinners. They have rejected Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of Man. They were in darkness. They forcefully opposed Jesus, hostile to him. Jesus responds to them. If you were blind, you would have no excuse. But they say we see. They are claiming that they have the insight to understand spiritual things. That they had all the insight and illumination they needed. They knew the law. Why did they reject Jesus Christ? Leon Morris again says, Jesus does not say that they really do see, but that they claim to see. If they really had spiritual sight, they would act differently towards him. Yet they are not completely blind. They had enough spiritual knowledge to be responsible. They claimed to have sight and acted like the blind. Therefore, their sin is not taken away. It remains with them. And that statement there by Leon Morris, they had enough spiritual knowledge to be responsible, is a haunting sentence there for those who would be within a church for years maybe, or grew up in a church with enough spiritual knowledge, maybe even no more texts and more scripture memorization than you, but know not the Lord, but they know enough and they will be held responsible. Do not be deceived. Turn to Christ if you do not know him. Do you believe in the Son of Man is the question. Are you submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ is the second question. Ask these of yourself this morning. Ask this, am I a worshiper of Jesus Christ? If you're not one who believes in Jesus Christ as Lord, if you do not worship him according to the way he says, then you are under divine judgment already. You need to be pardoned. You need an appeal. You are guilty, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what must you do to be saved? Repent and trust Jesus Christ as Lord today. And finally, sixth point, 
walking with the Lord. So we have the man found by the Lord. There are demands by the Lord for one to follow Christ. He has demands on one. There's the response to the Lord. There's judgment according to the Lord. There is no salvation without the Lord. And then there is walking with the Lord. For those of us in here who are Christians, God has opened your eyes. He has given you sight. What are you doing to nurture the sight that he has given you? What are you doing, conversely, to hinder the sight he has given you? He has given us illumination. Ask the question, do I desire more of him? Do I desire more of the illumination from the word of God? Do I desire to know Christ more? Let's pray. Father, thank you that no matter who casts us out in this world, who would throw us out in the world, that you are ready to receive the outcasts, you are ready to receive the, the repentant. You are ready to receive those who would bow the knee to you as Lord. You're worthy to be praised, Lord Jesus. You're worthy to be followed. You're worthy to be worshipped. Let us have hearts the desire to worship you in spirit and in truth. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.